First to the spectacle of outbursts and reaction when a treasurer decides to write an essay about his dreams of a new capitalism in Australia, one with a broader purpose than straight profit. That's what's happened this week following Jim Chalmers writing in the latest monthly magazine on capitalism after the crises, meaning the GFC, the pandemic and climate change transition. The Treasurer's 6,000 words were certainly matched by those responding, especially from some troubled business quarters. Peter Costello, for instance, a former Treasurer, said, businesses are set up to run businesses. Don't complicate it. And that's where they operate best. Whereas Graham Samuel, a former ACCC chair, said the wider stakeholder approach urged by the Treasurer is now echoed by the world's biggest investors and that, quotes, the desire to convince the world that business cares about more than the bottom line is gathering pace. The Financial Review was especially exercised. Politicians who claim to be able to refashion markets must be acutely aware of the unintended consequences. That was one of its gentler editorial lines. Why all this passion? Well, I'll tease that out with two guests. Diane Smith-Gander hails from the world of business. She's been a prominent executive who's currently chairperson of Zipco, among a host of other leadership roles. And Professor John Quiggan is a VC uh, Senior Fellow in Economics at the University of Queensland and a regular thinker on wider economic policy over many years. Welcome to you both. Good morning. Thanks very much. I'd yes. like to know what each of you make, first of all, of the Treasurer's sentiments in the monthly article, because there's a load of different responses and his attempt to influence the agenda. First to you, Diane. Well, look, I think this is exactly what the Treasurer should be doing. He's supposed to be influencing the agenda, getting some debate, and he's certainly done that. But all of this resonates very much with me. You know, one of the things I do is chair CEDA, um, the National Board there. And in 2018... The Committee for Economic Development of Australia. Yes, the Mm. Committee for Economic Development of Australia. We said we really need to connect people with progress because Australians were telling us that they didn't feel they'd benefited from the sustained growth in the economy. Only 5% of Australians said they felt they'd gained a lot. So we felt inequality was becoming a big issue and we needed to change the debate. So I think this is what the Treasurer has now done five years later. Right. So it, it's not particularly shocking to you. Uh, does it? Is it specific enough for you or is it a sort of broad it's, rhetoric reason? Clearly it's not specific enough. Um, I would have liked to have seen, I'm going to quote John here, the terrible tax of stamp duty um, (laughs) and the issue of land tax and housing accord and so forth put a bit more front and centre in this essay. Um, You know, I think you had to really dig through it to find what were the things the Treasurer was saying he was really going to get onto, and there were three things, but they were buried all all the way down on page nine. So there's not quite enough specificity. But what we've got here is the Treasurer saying he wants to have a conversation. And he's saying it's not what's happened to us, but how we respond. And that was a maxim that my late mother would point out every time I had any sort of setback. (laughs) And I think business should take my mother's advice, because it's the same as the Treasurer's, and get some multi-stakeholder engagement and some good faith engagement going on here because that's the only way we'll get to specificity. Now, John Quiggan, I thought you'd be disagreeing with uh, Diane, but I don't suppose you will. Uh, Well, I think, I suppose... I I, um, I don't certainly don't disagree with anything that Anne said. I suppose my my reaction is a bit different, and it's shaped to some extent by the uh, 2008 Kevin Rudd essay. After 
I suppose, the first of the crises that the, the Treasurer mentions, which was on long, very similar lines. So, um, yeah, I think this is more strongly worded in the sense that, yeah, terms like neoliberalism are, are thrown in uh, very much as, as negatives, as, as pejoratives. Uh, what we didn't, we didn't, we saw a lot that, that yes, that was very impressive, but it didn't really uh, produce that much change in the way in which government operated. And I suppose that's what's striking in the essay to me is that the diagnosis looks good, but there's very little in there about what governments are actually going to do. And that, that in turn reflects the fact that uh, the government is very tightly constrained by the promises it made in the um, in the 22 election, 2022 election campaign. Right. So you would have liked more detail. I mean, I, cl- I presume you're talking about regulation or tax rises, are you? Well, uh, certainly the, the obvious, I mean, the big, uh, yeah, elephant in the room we're not looking at is the stage three tax cuts. Of course, we had a, a run of debate uh, about that um, leading up to the October budget. Uh, if any of the things that, that the Treasurer is talking about are going to be done, we clearly can't afford those those tax cuts. We can't tackle entrenched disadvantage while handing out hundreds of billions of dollars to high-income earners. Uh, but also, I think... Um, uh, the other thing is not so, the thing I'm concerned about is not so much direct regulation as as uh, uh, issues where rather than saying we're going to try and create markets where uh, where business will do the right thing in some of these areas I think governments need to get directly involved and and uh, that's true of climate change it's particularly true I think Ma- of meaning what what do you mean exactly by that get directly well, I mean, involved so I think we've seen this is actually something where that we have seen this. Um, Happening across uh, uh, across recent developments, we've seen uh, governments getting back into electricity generation. Uh, I'm putting caps to... on prices and things like that. No, no, no. I, I no. mean directly investing in oh, renewable energy, for example. Hmm. Yes, I mean, the, I mean, I think the caps on prices and stuff are notable in saying we no longer believe this stuff about about how the market is going to get everything right. But it's important to remember that. This is a design market. It was supposed to be designed. That design hasn't worked, and and so that's um, uh, that's a, quite a difficult problem for the treasurer to square. Actually, it's interesting because there did seem to be a, a real underlying concern from some critics that um, Jim Chalmers was shifting his attitudes towards markets, that core belief of contemporary economics, unlike say Hawke and Keating, his big Labor predecessors who opened up the Australian economy. Mm. And yet, if you re- if you read it, went back and read it again, he quotes, for instance, the influential uh, economist Mariana Mazzucato, whom we've interviewed, and she fundamentally says that markets built in partnership through the efforts of business, labour and government are still the best mechanism, but these are considered an efficient market, not what the old model delivered, and that there's actually no fresh consensus yet emerged after the 2008 crisis. Do you think that's a fair comment, uh, Diane? I think it's an extremely fair comment. You know, I don't think what we're seeing in the Treasurer's essay is a case of market versus government intervention. You know, energy markets are the one that are in the spotlight at the moment, and very rightly so. But as John pointed out, that energy market design has failed. And today is not the day to go, oh, well, we can redesign that market. This was decades ago that that market should have been redesigned almost as soon as it, you know, came into creation. And so, 
you can't just wind back time. We can't make new market design that's going to get across all of the problems we've got. So direct intervention is absolutely necessary to bring prices to the point they are. Now, could there have been a slightly different way? Could there have been a bit more of a safety net for those most vulnerable people? I'd argue that, yes, there could have been. But I really don't think that we can say because the energy market has failed that markets are not the right mechanism. Markets are the right mechanism, but they're not some amazing construct, you know, that comes down from the mountain. These are designed by economists, by stakeholders, you know, and so this notion that everyone needs to get together, think about what the future is going to look like and design markets that are going to take us to the right place that's, I think, the core idea here. And, and I don't and, think John could disagree with me, right? Well, well, and business is talking like this, is it? When you're sitting around board tape, business is talking like this. Absolutely, business is talking like this because business has worked out a long time ago that they've got a broader range of stakeholders. Now, actually, I'm in the US at the moment and one of the things that is frightening me here is that there are a lot of push going on in the Republican-controlled states to actually force business to not take the broader stakeholder into account. It's like taking the best um, results test that... um, we put in recently and taking that to the nth degree and saying you actually cannot take account of ESG. You have to just go with best financial interest. So it's, it's interesting that this is becoming so politicised. Very interesting. Yeah. Could, could I jump in on, yep, on that point? Do. Because I think uh, I, I would somewhat disagree with that. It's true, of course, that Republican uh, Republicans uh, are trying to stop companies doing ESG, but not so the market can work. They're trying to order order companies to do the things they want. And yes, uh, we've seen that, uh, We've seen that, for example, yeah. uh, with the finance sector, you know, Senator Matt Canavan saying we need to force companies to invest, you know, invest in the things he thinks they should invest. So I think that, that reflects that uh, there's loss of faith uh, in uh, unguided markets isn't confined to the left of politics, uh, it's uh, something which is yeah, the poor performance of the financial sector in particular uh, over the yeah. past uh, past twenty years means no one any longer. Well, that's particularly the US, really to be fair, not here, is it? Uh, well, we we certainly have had um, we certainly managed to, to escape it, but it's uh, it's also but yeah, it's not only in the US. I mean, we've also seen uh, most of the world had very poor performance of the financial sector. We managed to get in early and. Um, and, uh, well, we've got uh, a lot of regulations. I mean, that's, I mean, that's a, another whole argument about the regulations. Yeah. But, you know, like, you know, I, okay, go on, Diane. Yeah, look, I, I think the financial service sector performance needs to be evaluated on the broadest possible lens. You know, what no. is it there for? It is there to facilitate the economy, to facilitate people's participation in the economy in the broadest way. And when you have the inequality that we have and unserved segments of the population and from a consumer point of view, we cannot say that our financial services are performing well for us. And the Hain Royal Commission and lots of investor feedback is showing that it's not just about returns, you know, and how quickly capital can get from A to B. And we know that capital is not 
allocated well. A treasurer pointed out very clearly, you know, for-purpose entities are starved of growth capital and that shouldn't be the case. Well, see, the AFR, the Financial Review in, 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 you know, one of its editorials said, instead of the invisible hand, you know, Adam Smith's invisible hand of the marketplace involving millions of workers, businesses and entrepreneurs, the treasurer promotes a new top-down model of big government, big business and big super funds to direct finance into areas such as social housing or the clean energy transition. Now, I, I mean, now, John, does that bother you? Well, it, I mean, I, I certainly would want to look at the details, but I think when we, when we come back to the performance of financial markets, we're seeing, for example, booms in totally spurious things like crypto and the financial markets are, are deep into that. So the idea... The idea that this invisible hand is working, delivering the great outcomes, just doesn't seem to, to help us. I mean, if we look at the 2008 crisis, it was government action that got, out of the, got us out of that. Uh, we, we saw uh, the financial sector come quite close to the edge with the pandemic. And again, we never really saw much, uh, much useful coming out of the financial sector in dealing with that crisis. So it's something which turns a nice steady earner during good times for the, for the people in the financial sector. Uh, but immediately goes running to nurse when there's a crisis. Uh, see, the other th- aspect of this is that um, the, the health of our democracy that supports all of this um, capitalism is also raised in the uh, in the essay and most definitely, I think, as, I mean, even you hear, even Davos seems to be particularly mm. concerned about this. <laughs> now, Diane Smith-Gander, is that a legitimate area or, as Peter Costello says, look, if you start getting, trying to get business to do everything, it won't work, you'll lose focus, you won't keep that sense of, um, you'll actually undermine the very thing you're trying to save. Now, are there risks here? I'll tell you what you will lose if you don't, you know, engage your people is you will lose your people. Now, employees are telling us very clearly that they expect a level of engagement from their employee with the issues of the day. They expect the company to have a perspective and they expect a level of communication and education coming from their employer. And they do trust that source of information, younger people in particular. And I think this is a piece that perhaps some people are actually missing. So, you know, yes, you can go hell for leather for just this one interest of your financial return but you're not going to have a sustainable and vibrant company going forward, very clear. So that is very much taking that longer-term view, um, which is really was, I mean, it was very big 30 years ago. There were people like Robert Reich in the US talking about, you know, um, uh, return to shareholders, to the community and to labour. And that has really gone out under the whole sort of Milton Friedman for the last 30 years, John. So, I mean, do you see this as a genuine shift or is this just, a, you know, a temporary blip? Well, it remains to be seen. I think, broadly speaking, you know, the Kevin Rudd essay in 2008 was a temporary blip. They, they, we saw big government, a big government intervention which successfully protected Australia uh, from the crisis and we saw, well, we saw, of course, uh, other countries pursue austerity policies uh, disastrously. That wasn't really done, as the essay mentioned, in 2014. The incoming Conservative government tried this backed off I mean, we never really, for example, we never got the budget back to surplus as had been promised. But uh, there wasn't really the kind of fundamental change after 2008 that Rudd's essay would have implied. And what we see in this essay, I think, is 
plenty of diagnosis, but as you say, the ideas aren't obviously new and the big problem is that the government needs resources to do this. Those resources have to come either from tax or from taking on uh, uh, public debt for investment. And there's, a, I think, at the back of this, a feeling of very much a feeling of we have to hold debt down, we have to get stuff off the budget. So the government, the treasurer, is much keener on doing uh, projects uh, which don't involve uh, an official increase in government debt. In other words, private capital coming in. Or, for example, things like the, the social housing fund. So that's oh. set up in such a way that what's actually a fairly small volume of public expenditure, yeah, probably a few hundred million dollars a year, is set up as a $10 billion off-budget fund that, um, uh, and the earnings from that are supposed to finance housing investment. And do you, like that, do you like that idea? I don't, know. Um, I think yeah, it, it's really obfuscating what's happening. Of course, this approach goes back to Mr Costello and the Future Fund, which is the granddaddy of all these funds. It was something that was done quite a bit under the previous government. And I think it means that uh, we're not really making decisions in the appropriate way. And, and, and we need, I think, what's missing in the Treasurer's uh, statement so far is a willingness of government to step forward and say in certain areas, uh, in certain areas, uh, we really don't need uh, this kind of cooperation with the private sector. We need government to get in and do it. And I'd argue that applies to most of the, many of the social welfare areas that are mentioned, that the uh, attempt to privatise uh, or, or contract out a bunch of uh, health, education, services and so forth hasn't worked you well. You don't like that. Okay. Um, and, and look, so I'm just looking at the time. Yes. Um, yes. Diane, um, the, the, uh, Graham Samuel's piece was very interesting, also in the Fin Review, it must be said. My only caveats on the Chalmers thesis, he says, is that the government does not attempt to pick winners and that his catalyst criterion for government involvement market failure is rigorously applied. Mm. Uh, Chalmers has outlined an evolution of, evolution of capitalism as both necessary and inevitable. Will average citizens see any change in the capitalism they know, in your view, if this was followed? Oh, that's a very big question. You know, in terms of what Graham is saying, I think he's right to put his finger on market failure. You know, really understanding where there is market failure and then stepping in in the right way is important. But I don't agree with him on the pick winners. And I think that Mariana Mazzucato would have a conniption, you know, because she believes in the moonshot notion, you know, where government should be picking the winner and putting the big investment mm. muscle behind it. Mm. And I think if government doesn't step forward into the right pieces of this debate, we will see no change whatsoever. It is actually their gift to make this change. Right. Um, I'm just actually looking. I was just temporarily <laughs> dazzled by a text that came in just as she was speaking. Uh, um, one of the texts said, it's nice to see Carl Polanyi's ideas coming back to the surface away from Friedman. The counterbalance of market forces and regulatory oversight needs constant balancing, like the sails and rudder on a yacht, um, <laughs> which, which I, I think is rather attractive, which is why it's very interesting, Diane, that there's been such, yeah. such a, an emotional response to the, all of this. Well, doesn't that say, you know, constant rebalancing, don't leave it for decades and then think you can find a silver bullet? This is our problem. You know, we want to set something up and say job done and then just let 
market forces get on with it and then context changed and the market design's no longer relevant. I think this is the core thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we just have let our markets, um, you know, go into disrepair and they need constant attention. And final quick word to you, John Quiggan. Yeah, well, I think uh, it's uh, we're seeing, I guess, a uh, challenge the idea that, that financial markets are the best way of doing this. And, of course, it's unsurprising that yeah, the Financial Review, which really focuses much more on financial markets than on actual uh, business, uh, it sees this threat quite clearly that uh, uh, if we're not satisfied with what financial markets have done in terms of uh, the allocation of capital investment and so forth, uh, the question arises, why are we handing over such a large share of both income and control over the economy to them. Very interesting. Yes. Well, look, right. I, I um, yes, I think that it it is a worthwhile debate <laughs> to have, I would have thought, for all of us. Uh, so, look, I really thank you both for joining us. Diane Smith-Gander and Professor John Quiggan, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for all your texts too. As you can see, I do read them <laughs> right on the run. Stream any ABC radio station live and on the go. Discover new podcasts, music and audiobooks, all free on the ABC Listen app.